My name is Erin Bross, and this is The Dirt, Confessions of a Tree Planter. Art for this podcast comes from another tree planter, Bethany Davis, as part of her illustration series, Follow the Trees. This is a podcast about tree planting as a reforestation practice in the silviculture industry. Tree planters are a collective of people who spend much of their lives replenishing a logged area with new forest. However, tree planting is so much more than the physical act of planting thousands of seedlings in the ground day after day as a job. It is about the connections, experiences, bonds, and memories that last a lifetime. The dirt is a place to shed light on the culture that is mostly contained within those who have stuck a shovel in the ground. It is meant to dive deep into all things tree planting as a place for those to reminisce, relate, or to learn. So wherever you're coming from, as any tree planter would say, may the planting gods be with you. Hey everyone, today I have a fantastic episode for you. It's jam-packed with Jordan Tesluck. He is the forestry safety advocate for silviculture and consultant forestry here in British Columbia. He helps to provide a liaison role engaging industry members in conversation about health and safety issues, as well as distributing that and getting feedback in the field. He planted himself for 15 years on the coast and interior of British Columbia and put in more than 1 million trees. We talk about his academic background um, and how he contributed to tree planting through research. Um, We chat about how Jordan acts as a liaison really between tree planters, uh, the planting companies, as well as larger organizations here in BC. Uh, We cover changes that's been seen within tree planting over the decades, especially since Jordan himself has been involved in this industry for quite a long time. Um, And of course, the discussions about where the future of tree planting may be going. Um, So in the show notes, um, please go check it out. I've got a wealth of information there for you, especially for fellow planters. Um, So Jordan has provided me with some links to employment standards for civil culture workers. Um, We've also linked um, Scooter's replant site, which has a whole section on employment standards all across Canada. Um, And the book that Jordan mentions to me during our conversations, I have linked in here, um, Milltown, Mindtown, Railtown by Rex Lucas. And then uh, also another book recommendation by Jordan. So uh, lots of info in the show notes. So um, you can scroll down and check that out. And I will just get right to our interview. Enjoy. So today on the show, I have Jordan Tesluck with me. Uh, Welcome, Jordan. Thank you for having me, Erin. Yeah, no problem. So to start, let's uh, hear a little bit more about yourself. Uh, Yeah, so tell the listeners more about who you are. Well, um, I meet a lot of tree planters and a lot of companies out in the woods. Um, I have two roles in the industry. One is as a safety auditor where I review company programs. And that brings me into contact with a lot of workers. But one of my key roles is called the forestry safety advocate. And I go out and I meet with companies and I meet with supervisors and workers and basically talk to them about key health and safety issues in the industry. Cool. And I know from just talking to you a bit briefly before this um, that you were also a planter yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I started um, sometimes the dates elude me, but it was 92 or 93. Um, As a rookie, I went up north. I found a job ad in the newspaper and I started as a rookie with folklore contracting up in Prince George. And I put 15 years in the industry and somewhere along the line, I passed a million trees, but I can't remember exactly where that might have happened. So did you spend your whole tree planting career in British Columbia then? Yes. Yeah, I've uh, I've been an auditor throughout Alberta and BC, but all of my planting has taken place in BC. So how do you feel that tree planting has changed or impacted your life? It gave me everything I have. Um, everything that I have, I, I owe to the industry. Um, physically, it changed my body. Um, I started planting uh, the spring after and during a you know, serious knee injury, and I had gone through a full rebuild of one of my legs and it, it gave me you know strength that I'd never had before it allowed me to see parts of the the province and um, small towns 
and and the environment and the industry that I'd never seen before. And it, it opened me up to a, a larger community of people and a wider set of um, and deeper set of relationships um, that definitely um, changed the direction of my life. Very cool. Um, and I, you know, I know that you mentioned that you uh, found tree planting from an ad in the newspaper. Um, but what drew you to tree planting? Uh, like, did you just see the ad and think that might be something cool to try out? Or were you already aware of tree planting and you were curious about trying it out? Well, like everybody, I'd heard from, you know, people that I knew, maybe slightly older people in my peer group. Oh, yeah, I went and I made this much money tree planting with cottonwood and quenelle or something like this. And I went, well, that sounds good. Um, I wanted to, you know, you, you get that point in your life where maybe your, your high school job or your, your, you know, maybe it's your allowance or whatever isn't quite enough money and you need to make more. And this was an avenue to it. Um, also, prior to being a tree planter as a bike courier, which was in many ways, it's actually one of the jobs that I found most similar to tree planting. It was piece rate. Um, I was really motivated by, by, you know, my earnings reflecting my effort and sort of that speed and production mindset. So for me, that was a very natural transition. And with anyone I have here on the podcast, uh, having been a tree planter, um, I always want to ask these questions. What is your favorite tree planting memory? Huh. I or think just like first thing that comes to mind. Yeah, I, I'd say I think it's probably going to work by horseback one day. Oh, wow. Um, you know, there's a lot, <laughs> a lot of different ways to get to work. And, um, and uh, you know, I've, I've gone by bicycle, I've gone by boat, I've gone by helicopter, I've gone by truck. Um, one day we had to go up into the uh, mountains above the Beaverfoot Valley and uh, they asked if anybody knew how to ride horses. And there's three or four of us. I grew up with this lovely old Appaloosa named Cindy Fiddlesticks. And I've always had a fondness for horses. So I was all ready for that. So there was uh, three planters and two guides and a couple of pack horses. And we had to go across these deep creeks where the bridges had washed out. And um, pretty simple job, you know, 800 and some odd trees a piece day rate. But uh, just... Going to work by by horseback was uh, you know, is a real different thing. And riding horses wasn't new to me, but the whole experience just um, was really fun. And those those the other people that I did the job with, we sort of you know shared that special little moment. Wow, and that must have been a bit nicer than a walk-in, I guess, eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Especially when you got the the horses carrying the packs, it was yeah. Uh, it was pretty cool. It's, you know, honestly, like you ask any tree planter that question, they're going to have to pick one memory out of a thousand. And, and that really is it. But that's maybe just one of the, the cooler, funner moments. Yeah. Um, and when you were saying uh, this was located in, I believe you said the Beaverwood Valley, for anyone who maybe is not familiar with where that is in British Columbia, could you uh, describe where that is? Yeah, the, the Beaverfoot Valley is um, east of Golden. So as you're taking the uh, Trans-Canada Highway through Golden and headed towards Alberta, there's a moment just before you cross the border where you jog to the south and head down to this uh, place called the Beaverfoot Valley. So it's basically right on the edge of the Rockies. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that'd be a gorgeous spot too. It was incredible, yeah. Okay, so of course with uh, planting, we know that there's highs and there's lows. Uh, so what is your worst tree planting memory? <laughs> um, I was a bad weather planter. Um, so, you know, the weather and the elements seldom, seldom really got to me in, in that respect. I would say that the worst memory was, whew, um, you know, I can think of some bad blocks, but, you know, with those situations, you always get through it. Um, I'd probably say, you know, dealing with certain individuals that, um, you know, frightened me um, and, and, and situations like that were difficult. Um, that's on a personal level. I'd say for me, the worst experience in tree planting is, is hearing about um, other people that have been seriously injured or killed. Not to be morbid, but that's something that definitely has affected me more deeply than any sort of personal trial. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely, I mean, in every industry, uh, you have that aspect of risk and yeah, tree planting being a part of, you know, the forest industry and the logging industry, they're all definitely, uh, jobs that come with these inherent risks so you know it's great to have people such as yourself now you know working towards the safety of of this industry well yeah you're very very right to say that it's like any other industry i i would say we you know tree planting has a lower death and injury rate than a lot of those other industries you mentioned but um but it shares the environment, the isolation, and um, and you know a lot of common hazards. So it, it definitely has its physical perils. So I'm curious how you decided to retire, or sort of transition out of tree planting, because uh, you're obviously still involved now in the industry. And I know that you've mentioned to me, you know, that you you did go to graduate school. You have some higher education, so. Uh, yeah, how did that come about? How did you sort of make the decision to retire from planting? Well, you, you know, it's, it's an interesting question. I, I wouldn't say that I ever made a decision to retire. Um, I did put in a day or two last year and days before. I, I give the trees away when I plant them, so, but I've still put in a bit here and there. Um, I think sometime around my, uh, I can't remember which year it was, maybe my seventh or eighth year, there was a program called um, Forest Renewal British Columbia, which identified, you know, problems with the sustainability of the, the forest industry and began um, putting out grants for workers. Um, so this was, I was, I think I was about 25, 26 at the time. So we're talking 22 years ago, putting out grants for re-education, realizing that certain forestry workers were just not going to be able to continue in their jobs, that the industry, you know, capacity was going to diminish and they'd be out of work. So retraining programs came up and um, I can't remember who it was, but um, certain actors within the silviculture industry actually went to court to secure access for silviculture workers to these re-education programs. Um, at the time, you know, we foresaw that, you know, the, the mentality then is that if the cutting went down, the planting would go down. The volume has actually gone up, but I was amongst a group of planters that sort of said, oh, well, here's an, an opportunity to get into you know, some different kind of training or education. And it was a two-year program. Um, I had no aspirations for higher education. I was satisfied planting on a year-to-year -year basis and doing a few little so side projects here and there. And I took on a two-year program <laughs> um, with the idea that I'd become a private eye. And uh, honestly, that was it. I thought, oh, I'm going to become a private eye. And not one of those like tough and handsome private eyes, but probably one of those really sort of scrawny and sneaky private eyes. <laughs> um, I always think of like the Rockford Files, if anybody's seen that, dating myself a little bit there. Um, and, um, you know, I had no real idea what I was getting into, but my first couple of years of college went really well and it just became a snowball effect. I went back as a mature student. One thing led to another. And I, I you know, I was one of those people that didn't start tree planting to support school. I started tree planting and then found it gave me an opportunity to go to school. Scholarships started coming. And then, you know, after my bachelor's uh, degree, um, I was offered some money to go back and pursue my master's. And I was still fully involved in the industry working, you know, as long of a season I, as I could. And I really wasn't enthralled with the idea of doing just some useless academic degree. I wanted it to be grounded in the world and to make a contribution. So I actually found some contacts in the industry, um, in the industry association and the safety associations. And my master's degree focused on the history of the planting industry and the way in which the, the, the history and the culture of the industry has shaped its relationship with um, occupational health and safety regulations. And um, that just, you know, started a bit of a snowball effect that eventually did lead to me stepping out of the industry. Um, and when I stepped out, um, you know, when I, you asked me originally the question about how I retired and how I got to that point, um, when the safe companies audit came up, we have something called a safe companies audit where Almost all companies, whether they're planting or forestry or whatever, they have to do an audit, a top to bottom intensive review of how they manage safety. Now, when that came about in BC in about 2006, 
there weren't really any auditors that understood silviculture. Um, so I was actually asked by several members of the industry if I was interested. And my boss at the time was the kind of boss that was always looking out for his workers and their next opportunity. And he basically, you know, opened the door for me to walk out the door for his company, even though it really, you know, I was playing a key role there. He encouraged me to go for it, um, was fully supportive. And it turned into eventually more of a, at first it just replaced planting. I continued working on my, 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 um, some of my academics while I would audit, but then eventually it replaced everything and it became more of a full-time career. So it was really mostly a matter of filling a gap where we needed somebody from within the industry to sort of play almost a, almost a liaison role or provide representation in this new system of safety auditing. So that's how it came about. And so you also have a PhD in sociology, as you've mentioned to me. Uh, did that also have a focus within tree planting and civil culture? Yeah, in a way it did. Um, I originally went into my PhD. Um, I originally got rejected, actually. I was not accepted from UBC when I first came. Um, all of the, you know, my grades and everything were fine, but I didn't really have um, a supervisor or somebody to be my to, to represent my interests or say they'd take me on. I didn't really understand the PhD program in politics at that time. And then all of a sudden I got a what's called a SHRC grant. So it was a significant grant from the federal government and all of a sudden UBC changed their mind. I said, oh, you got money, well, come on in. So uh, that got me in the door. Um, I honestly floundered a little bit with my PhD and then you know looked at a bunch of different subjects. There wasn't really a, an approach for the for the tree planting and, and safety regulation angle there to continue my previous studies. And one day a member of the, uh, one of the senior professors, um, my, the supervisor I had wasn't working out well for me. He was a really good guy, but we just didn't have, a, have enough mutual interest. And he did me the favor of steering me towards this, this guy, Ralph Matthews, um, who's probably one of Canada's leading natural resource sociologist. So he sent me towards Ralph and I talked to Ralph and Ralph, you know, started talking to me about my interest and goes, so I've got this other project. Um, do you know anything about tree planting or uh, have you ever heard of this guy, Dirk Brinkman? And I was like, well, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I had interviewed Dirk as part of my master's degree and of course I knew his company and it turned out that Dirk and Ralph were leading a project in the Northwest um, with something called the Future Forest Ecosystem Science Council. It was basically a look at how climate change is affecting our forests and our small town economies. And they invited me onto the project with the idea that I'd be able to use some of that data to complete my dissertation. So that's how I got into that. I worked you know, closely with them on that project and learned a lot more about, about Dirk through that project. Um, and ultimately, my, my dissertation focused on um, Northwest community development and how, how forestry towns are adapting to new social movements in the wake of the decline of the forest industry. So what does a forestry town do when it's no longer a forestry town? Yeah, and having grown up in a forestry town myself, uh, it's definitely a big deal. Um, and it's a real problem for yeah, a lot of, you know, Northern Canada communities, because a lot of them are resource based and a lot of them are definitely based in the logging and forest industries. So, um, yeah, really important work for sure. Yeah, and you, this, I have to ask, what, what forestry town was this that you grew up in? Uh, so I'm actually from Manitouage, Ontario. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, so, yeah. So, so small northern Ontario town, but uh, it's been a planting hub and it it's it was technically a, a logging and mining town because really it was it was founded because of a nearby mine. But um, but then, you know, as the mining was winding down, like the logging is what sort of kept the town going for a while, too. Um, and there still is logging going on there a bit more recently than in the last, you know, 10, 15 years, as far as I know. But uh, it's it's still definitely uh, slowly becoming a ghost town um, just because it's 
fairly isolated, but uh, there are some new tree planting contracts that have sort of risen in the last five to 10 years, um, which is a, is a good thing for the town, so. Well, I, I have to throw out a book recommendation for you there while I'm at it and just sociology minded. There's a, when it comes to looking at the progression of natural resource towns in Canada, there's this wonderful book by Rex Lucas called Mine Town, Mill Town, Rail Town. And, you know, there, this is a pattern. This is a historical pattern in Canada of, of big industry and natural resource development. And um, these, are, <laughs> these are cycles that have been going on for an awfully long time that uh, still continue today. And, you know, anybody that's grown up outside the major cores, they can really relate to that, that cultural transition um, that occurs along with the economics. So just to touch really quickly on, yeah, sort of how you, you know, basically built um, a bit of an academic career for a while anyways, to get you kind of where you are now, uh, you know, from tree planting. Uh, do you think as someone who was in the graduate school system for a while doing academic research, uh, you know, and covering these sort of gaps in knowledge about tree planting, do you feel that there are still avenues uh, for academic research into tree planting and, you know, if they're needed or if they would be beneficial. Um, yeah, because I feel like it's hard to do research on tree planting unless you sort of have that knowledge and awareness from having done it yourself. Huh, yeah, that's a good question because, of course, so many tree planters are students. Um, so many people have looked at tree planting as sort of fertile ground for doing a study. It's sort of like the have your own little Stanford prison experiment there with a captive audience of willing or unwilling subjects, depending on how you look at it. So <laughs> there's some interesting ethical views about whether or not we should continue to use ourselves as guinea pigs. Um, I think that there's a lot of interesting work to be done on tree planting. Um, you know, research on sort of the broader direction of the industry, there's been some really interesting studies in that vein. Um, there's been a few people out from Ontario, their names escape me right off the bat, but I've got a list of articles by some people that have really looked at, you know, the, the political economy of the industry and, you know, the industrial relationships and some of the other, you know, phenomena around it. But within tree planting itself, I always think that there's opportunities for specific applications. Um, a woman contacted me recently who's doing her master's degree on a specific issue related to wrist tendonitis. And, you know, there, there's opportunities like that, I think, in all academics. I'm a very practical-minded academic. I really want to see a practical application for the work I do. And I never want to become, you know, completely you know, estranged from the reality of work and the reality of, of society. Um, so there's some good stuff. There's some interesting game theory uh, research done um, uh, about five, 10 years ago. Um, I think uh, the company Evergreen might have participated in that. There's always studies going on. Um, interesting studies of language and culture and how slang is developed and used. Um, you know, so yeah, I think there are opportunities, but at the same time, people need to be mindful of how the relationship of any industry or any group is, you know, how the, the relationship of that group with academia is changing. Um, and, you know, for myself, the work that I was doing in academia, particularly in my PhD, it changed entirely. Um, the group that I was working on um, at the time, there were so many political and cultural changes with it that, you know, my standing as an academic no longer really had the, uh, the 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 value that it used to. So that's, you know, it, yeah, uh, without getting too much into that, I'd say there are opportunities, but you really need to find a specific application mm -hmm. um, and a specific focus. Mm -hmm. And so for someone who's been in the industry basically since the early 90s, uh, how do you feel, you know, having really worked from so many different aspects of the tree planting industry now, how do you feel about the changes you've seen uh, since working uh, in the tree planting industry and even since you've sort of transitioned over to, yeah, the health and safety sector of things? Well, there's been so much change. Um, whether or not we can parcel out the changes in tree planting and the broader changes around it, it it's hard to do that. Um, we're seeing fewer people die. Um, there, there's, 
tree planting is not an industry with a lot of people dying, but we haven't had a person actually die on the job, work-related death for, for quite a while now. Um, just thinking back, I, the last one of memory was 2008, Christine Benoit Belisle, um, young woman who died in a motor vehicle accident on the way to work up near Vanderhoof. Um, there have been deaths around planting um, after hours on the roads to and from work, but to me that's a, a big change. And that's really part of the safe companies movement and the reform of safety in general. So that's a big change. The um, the certainly there's been there's been a maturation of the industry. When you look at the way we used to have real fly by night operations that would do things in a very haphazard manner with you know barely a tarp for a camp, um, you know peanut butter and jam sandwiches and spaghetti for food and you're waiting until the end of the year for your payment. We really don't see that in BC anymore. And if we do, it, it, it it's a big red flag. So I think that there's more professionalism and more reliability in it. And the culture of the workers and what they bring to the table has changed so dramatically. Um, you know, I've, I've always asked people what brought them out planting. And more and more, I see people are coming for the opportunity for to make money. Um, the experience is still important, but that's not the main thing. Um, it seems that that used to be one of the real driving forces. People would come out to find themselves and, you know, to, to experience this and to be in the woods and all that. And that's still an essential element. But I don't think that it's the driving force. And that really changes the attitude people bring with them to the work, how they do the job. Um, and how they think of themselves. Um, when you think about yourself being out there for the money, and you, you think of yourself as of, of the job as being part of your career development and profession, I believe it 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 makes you want to expect more, and it, you you hold yourself and everybody else to a higher standard. And I think that has been a real, um, I want to call it a positive change, but it, it's I'll just say it's been a change. It's been a significant change in the industry. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, there's there's so many things that have changed about it. You know, off the top of your head, obviously, there's always things that can be done better and improved. But is there anything you feel that still needs to change? Uh, any any particular aspect that you'd like to see going forward? Uh, you know, continues to change and con and continues to to get better, or yeah, something that you feel is 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 especially pertinent to, you know, being worked on right now? Um, I could pick on small things within the industry that I'd like to see change. Um, but, you know, if I had to pick on one, I'm going to look at the higher level, and that's the recognition within society, within industry, and within our, our political leaders of the importance of tree planting and the value of the labor. Um, the, the reforestation industry is not given the credit that it deserves, neither the contractors nor the workers. When you see the money, the subsidies and the political love being heaped upon the resource extraction industries and the scraps that the reforestation industry has to scuttle for in order to legitimate themselves, it, it's rather depressing at times. We'll have the premiers and prime ministers and all that flocking to these big industry events to you know, shake hands and glad hand with these industry leaders, et cetera. Um, but try to get, you know, a cabinet minister to show up at the WFCA conference or something like that is almost like pulling teeth. Here we are, you know, we are the industry. We are the capacity that is, you know, tasked with mitigating the resource extraction process. We're putting the forest back. You would think that there'd be a lot of importance attached to it, especially in the age of climate change. And we're still struggling for that attention. Trudeau has come up with this two billion trees in 10 years promise, and it's actually something we can do, and it's actually something that would make a difference, but there's been you know, hardly any follow-up to it. Um, I think that even society you know, continues to not really understand the importance of the work that, it, that is done, the, the, the challenge of it, what, what people give up to do it. Um, people think you know, it's just the physical cost, and it's young people doing this. Young people give up other opportunities in life and they take great risks to go tree planting. Um, far greater than somebody that takes on a different job in a city that they can quit and then go back home or find another job. You are taking a leap into space when you decide to go tree planting. It's still not appreciated. Um, the reforestation industry still has to struggle to secure protections for its workers. 
and to secure um, you know the the rewards, the financial rewards from the from the licensees. Um, I'm not saying it's like this big us against them, and you know everybody hates tree planting and reforestation, but the recognition is not there. And I think you know perhaps as we see reforestation taking a higher position in the hierarchy of steps we can take to mitigate climate change, I really hope that there's more attention paid to what tree planters do, more reward directed towards the workers, and more care taken to to just protecting them and ensuring that they're cared for. I could not agree with you more, Jordan, um, especially being a planter myself and someone who's still very much involved in the industry as a planter. Um, you know, you talk about, yeah, people who are choosing, students who are choosing to come and tree plant, but I'm thinking even of people who have chosen tree planting as a career. Um, but I know, you know, generally in society uh, that people do not regard tree planting as uh as a career choice and, and it's not it's not respected as a career choice because um, I have worked with people you know in their 40s 50s and 60s who who did choose it as a career who have made a great living for themselves and savings for retirement and you know all the all the sort of things you're supposed to do as an adult to to set yourself up when you've when you've got a career throughout life and and yeah that I feel that tree planting as a whole is really yeah just regarded upon in a different light and I know I would love to to see that change um because I know I've had people say to me like oh when are you going to get get a real job um <laughs> and and people don't understand that the tree planting can be a real job and even my own experience you know I'm, and I'm speaking a bit generally here but the attitude of of logging companies to the tree planting companies you know they really don't I've felt at least in my personal experience that they really don't value the tree planters. Um, you know, for them, it's just a means to an end of, of filling the, you know, the requirements that they, you know, are legally obligated to fill and, and to get those areas reforested for, you know, so then they can be logged again eventually because this is an industry. But I know myself, you know, I would also call on 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 the logging companies because is they're the ones that could really help, you know, boost us as well and, and facilitate that that change in attitude towards taking tree planting more seriously as, you know, as a force, uh, as an industry in its own. And and you know, it's it's easy to sometimes let this um feeling of underappreciation turn into assumptions about um, the intentions of the logging companies or the people that work for them. I know that a lot of logging companies really appreciate tree planters, some of them more than others. Um, it's more about our place in the system and the hierarchy. You, you look at the history of the, and the evolution of, of the reforestation industry, you know, it, it came as a bit of an afterthought. Um, you know, the idea that we need to restock the forest it took a long time for our society and our industry and even our scientists to realize the importance of it. But then we had a full blown extraction industry and it really did come as an afterthought. It wasn't something that was really a major part of, of, of forestry programs, save for a couple like Macmillan Bloedel was probably one of the more progressive companies in developing reforestation technology because they had private land and they wanted to protect that. But, you know, we had this gap and the and culturally we had a group of people that stepped into the gap in the 1970s that were culturally different than the status quo it was started by counterculturalists and you know what people will just call them hippies in the 1970s the first tree planting contract in 6970 it was people that looked for a different model of labor a different way of relating to their job and each other and it, it sort of developed as this silo so so you know, it's, there's a lot of historical inertia that has kept it um, segregated from the, the broader, um, you know, uh, resource industry uh, track and, and, and kept it really, again, I don't want to use the word about keeping it down, but prevented it from being acknowledged in the same vein as the, the big money industries, because we don't really, people don't see us as producing value. They see us as making up and covering the costs and they want to keep those costs to a minimum 
there's there's a lack of understanding of the value that we produce in rebuilding forests and and how important that is 40 or 50 years from now where the trees that we plant may start to be considered for harvest so you know again it's more of a system more of a system gap or system failure than it is sort of this you know mean world view of people that are just selfish there's there's some of those but i i tend to believe that most people are good yeah i definitely agree with with the disconnect just on the the communication and and i even know you know speaking to some of this and this is you know across Canada, not just here in British Columbia, that I know some of the blocks and some of that disconnect even comes from uh, policy, like on the government side, and just even the ways in which the system's been set up and the ways in which the logging companies have to go about things and then in turn how the tree planting companies operate as well. So it's it's definitely a deeper issue. Um, but yeah, I totally agree with you that, that tree planting has very often just been kind of yeah, just on the down low, basically. Um, like it's been this thing that's existed for quite a long time now. And there's still so much of society that doesn't know very much about it. And I mean, of course, this is why this is why we're sitting here talking today as well to hopefully, you know, bring some of that out into the open a bit more. Um, and yeah, I really like what you said about climate change, because I do think there, there really is an opportunity there um, for people to look at tree planting uh as a solution as well and that almost kind of comes full circle to yeah the first people that went tree planting like you said that were hippies and they were you know just trying to save the world and replant the forests that were getting cut down and um and it's kind of cool that it's almost coming back around but in this in this new way with climate change that that's i, I love that you say that about it coming back around and and I think that, you know, what excites me right now is that there is this opportunity for people to, to rethink what reforestation means. When I look at the image of any industry or the image of any group, um, as a sociologist, I always, you know, remind myself that these images and these assumptions are negotiated. They're not, they're not set in stone, but there are key moments. There's key conditions under which images can be changed and recast in the public mind and the minds of the regulators. I feel that reforestation is entering one of those windows, um, particularly with you know the 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 growing and you know what I see as the inevitably undeniable acknowledgement of um, you know climate change, um, human-induced climate change, and the need for mitigation efforts. So I look at that as part of it that really reconnects us with the with the history and the the roots of the industry. And I also see some some potential for return in terms of the, the the relationships among workers, and and that's one of the things that has always made it special, is um, you know, um, for example, men and women working in the woods together. Tree planting was the first job where that happened. Um, some of the women that I worked with um, back in the '90s had, were there in the '70s who said we were the first, you know, we were the first women they had ever seen in a logging camp. Um, when you look at the history of the harvesting industry, there's there's never been that example of men and women working in relatively similar numbers for the same pay together on the landscape. That was a real that was a real radical value. I look at some of the things happening right now in tree planting with the growing awareness around sexual harassment um, and treatment of each other. You know, there's a, still a little bit of radicalism there and it's really affecting the way that we're tackling that important issue and I really have hope that we're going to make some really important changes about some of the the conduct issues that are encountered in in forestry and that we still can be a leader um, we can be leaders around climate change and we can be leaders around the way that we treat each other as workers in the woods I completely agree with you and yeah I do think we're at a really powerful time right now with with so many things changing and I think with that there being yes yeah, so many opportunities to do better and to to set an example for other industries as well um, and I just wanted to touch very briefly on one of those changes um, just to kind of get your thoughts on it um, because you know you were involved as I was also involved with some of the planter forums that went on in the last few years uh, where tree planting companies and logging companies were meeting up and talking about 
you know, raising the tree prices, um, because that was something that, you know, especially my parents have mentioned having been in the industry for 40 plus years, that the tree prices have been the same from when they had planted back in the 80s and 90s. Um, and that was something that, you know, with the shortage of tree planters over the last couple of years, and especially out here with all the fires and the pine beetle, um, with a lot of trees needing to be put in the ground, and there actually being a shortage of workers that this, you know, spearheaded this change and that, you know, it's, it's been a long thing coming, I think that, you know, the prices have needed to go up for a long time. And I'm curious as to just briefly talking about, yeah, your thoughts on that. Well, you know, there's the, the need for the prices to go up. You're, you're right about the prices not having changed much. Um, the, at least in BC, there was a, uh, an analysis of, of um, wages. It's difficult to estimate wages, but we did it based upon payroll and the um, number of trees planted and sort of based it on that. Um, and then looked at what wage adjusted or inflation adjusted wages would look like. And there's no denying that there's a significant gap that you know, up until a couple of years ago, the idea of making $400 in a day, which, you know, a truly, truly elite worker could do back in 1990, that um, really hadn't shifted much, even, you know, moving into the, you know, 2010, 2014, $400 a day was still considered a huge day, and that a rookie would be struggling to make 150 or 200 bucks, which is, you know, for one of the hardest jobs on the planet. You know, people go, well, 150, 200 bucks is, you know, is a lot of money. I go, well, for one of the hardest jobs, one of the physically hardest jobs on the planet where you give up everything to go and live in the woods and be exposed to this and that. No, it's not a lot. And we really did see a, a correction in the prices in BC. A lot of that is driven by volume. Um, you know, when you have a certain amount of work and a lot of companies bidding to get on it, um, that that drives prices down. And what we saw is this increase in volume that's been driven by wildfire. It's been, been driven by pine beetle. And more recently, it's been driven by forest carbon initiative and the idea of afforestation, planting trees into areas that are not harvest-based, um, you know, reforesting um, areas that, that naturally would not regenerate in that manner. That's really driven the, the, the volume up. Um, it's had a very positive impact, but an uneven impact. Um, I don't think we've seen the same impact in other parts of Canada. Um, you know, we look out to Ontario and the, the premier there, you know, canceled a significant reforestation program within the province, deemed it unnecessary at the same time as the premier was canceling renewable energy projects. Um, I don't want to get too much into politics, we're just, just simply saying the volume has not increased evenly everywhere mm -hmm. and neither have the wages. Um, so it is needed um, if we want to um, if we want to meet this challenge, we have to show that we have the capacity to do it. You know, the, the Prime Minister can come up with a great plan to plant $2 billion in 10, 10 years, but if we don't show the capacity that we can do that, there won't be the political support, there won't be the investment in infrastructure, in seedlings, in seedling transport, in surveys, in identifying suitable ground, into providing the funding for the actual execution of the work. Um, so it was really important for the health of opportunities for both contractors and workers that over the last few years we, you know, the industry started rewarding people to keep them coming back to show that not only we can do it, but that people can be, will be rewarded for doing it. Nobody's going to go out and do this job for free. You know, like I said, it's one of the hardest jobs there is. So um, I feel that we're trending in the right direction in that respect, at least, at least out west. But there's a lot of uncertainty about where that's going to go, you know. Um, the, the volume probably won't stay that high forever. Um, you know, what about out east? There's a lot of uh, very different set of conditions out there. So um, there's a lot of questions to be answered. But at least we've seen some signs of life over the last couple of years. So with all that being said, um, and, you know, maybe you want to talk about this more in terms of health and safety, but, you know, even in a broader sense, how do you feel about the future of tree planting? Um, over the next four to five years, I feel pretty good about it. Um, you know, I feel really good about the opportunities that workers have. I see young workers, even rookies, people coming out of high school, 18, 19 years old, going out, learning the ropes and very quickly making very good money. Working very hard, make no mistake. I never want to trivialize the, the labor by seeing how much money they make. 
but finding very good opportunities. And I think that young people that are motivated can go out there and make some very good money right now over the next five years. The future of it, um, there's always going to be reforestation, um, you know, uh, assuming we don't have total system collapse like the, you know, like uh, some doom and gloomists sort of <laughs> prognosticate for us. Um, I think that the the industry has gone through a lot of change in the last three to four years, maybe more change in the last three to four years than it had gone through in the 10 to 15 years before, quite honestly. Um, there has been a lot of things happening. Whether or not we keep up that change of the the the, the trajectory of progress, um, it's going to cap out. the The earnings are not going to keep going up. Like, let's face it, there's it's just not really reasonable to expect that people are going to come straight out of high school and be making five or six hundred dollars a day. Um, the reality is is that you know people that have been driving machines and working in unions in the woods and have mortgages and children um, sometimes struggle to make three hundred three hundred fifty dollars a day. We have to put the job of planting and our expectations for the future within the context of broader labor market patterns and and the economy of the natural resource industry. Um, if volume persists, if we have the political will and the public support to maintain a strong reforestation program, I I see things continuing in a in a positive way. Um, I, I do have a lot of optimism for it. And I also continue to believe that the industry will be leaders um, in many areas that will affect other industries. We've, we've done all sorts of things, health and safety-wise in BC, where we, we moved first. We broke the ground as, a, as an industry, and, and other industries with way more money um, have looked at us and then followed suit. So we have innovators, we have incredible people, and we have really smart people, so many students as well. And thoughtful people in tree planting, you know, um, it's not just, I'm not saying I just have faith in the people, but I look at its past track record and overcoming challenges. And I think that it's going to continue to be a strong industry. Yeah. And I mean, any resource industry, you really have to be strong to weather, you know, the, the downturns, the upswings and the downswings, because of course that's, as we know of any resource industry, that's, that's always going to happen. And in our, our, you know, the, the silviculture industry's experience through the cycles is different than logging and harvesting. Um, you know, there's different things affecting, you know, volumes, such as natural disturbances, wildfires, you know, hundreds of thousands of hectares going up in smoke. Um, those things really affect tree planting. Um, the, the licensees, they're, they're, they're obligated by legislation to reforest the ground that they harvest. Um, and, and that, that harvesting will go down. We know that it is. We know that the, you know, midterm timber supply forecasts indicate a significant decline in volume. You know, we hit well over 300 million trees in British Columbia in 2019, and we're going to slug over that again in 2020. That's not going to persist. You know, it'll probably fall in all likelihood, um, assuming that we don't have any other massive catastrophic natural disturbances that affect, you know, uh, harvest grounds um, we'll probably see that that volume decrease at some point um, but that really relies upon you know like I said how much forest carbon trees come into the mix mm -hmm. okay so lastly uh, I like to ask everyone this question uh, what is one piece of advice you would give anyone who is considering going tree planting or will be going tree planting for their first time this year huh. um, you know, so much of the advice, you know, people can look up and get off places like replant and King Kong reforestation, et cetera. Um, I think it's really important that workers know their rights and that they look out for themselves and each other. Um, that to me is, is very important. Knowing your rights is important to make sure that you get paid fairly, no matter what province you happen to be working in. Um, knowing your rights means knowing what to do um, if you are not being paid fairly and you know what avenues of appeal are available to you. Um, and knowing your rights also you know, means knowing when something is unsafe and you, you should say no. So I think knowing your rights is really important. Um, 
looking out for yourself and looking out for each other. The first step that a young worker is going to make stepping out the door is how am I going to get to the job? Um, make sure you have a safe way to get there. There's a hidden figure in our industry. Um, you know, bring it back to the, just the loss of people. I mentioned that we haven't had somebody um, lost on the job in a long time, but there have been people lost to the job, trying to get back home or get to it. Um, hitchhiking is, is a very risky proposition. Jumping in a car with somebody who's, you know, if their vehicle's not maintained or they're a sketchy driver, or you're in a rush and you're doing a 36 hour drive from, you know, Ontario to BC, um, look out for each other, get there safe, and at the end of the year, get home safe. So, um, you know, I hate to sort of just play the safety card, but those are the kinds of things that keep me up, keep me up at night. Yeah, no, fair enough. And I think it's something that, especially with a lot of tree planters being students, um, it's maybe something that doesn't cross your mind as much. Um, like I know it didn't, you know, it hasn't always crossed my mind um, when I was younger because yeah, you're, you're young and you're just having a good time and it, it might not be something you think about unless something does happen. Uh, and of course, the best way is to you know, have the knowledge, have the education and, and take those preventative measures so that, yeah, something bad doesn't end up happening. Um, or that if something does happen that, yeah, is, you know, a way that you've been treated um, unfairly or poorly, that you're aware of that. And then, yeah, you, you know, you know what you can do about it. So it, it's just like that personal, um, I don't want to use the word power, but kind of just that accountability as, as an employee and as a worker, just the, the rights that you have legally here in this country. Mm -hmm. Good. Yeah, you know, I, I agree. Awesome. Well, Jordan, thank you so much for coming on this podcast, uh, sharing your story, sharing your wealth of, of expertise and knowledge uh, and yeah, just the connection you have to the industry is a really interesting one. And it was, it was really great to hear more about you and what you're involved in and, and just the state of, of tree planting right now. Thanks very much, Aaron. It's, it's always a pleasure to talk about the industry. It's got the, uh, you know, it, it's got some of the best people um, that I've ever met and um, you know, it's got a lot to offer. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again. And yeah, I hope you, uh, if you're out this summer in, in the field at all, that, uh, yeah, that you can put uh, some more trees in the ground just for fun. <laughs> I always get a couple in now and then. Thank you. Awesome. All right. Bye now. Bye for now.